Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. So, Romans 12, verses 1 and 11. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Romans 12, verses 1 and 11. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for you. We're grateful, Lord, that we are privileged to live in this nation, that though imperfect is a wonderful place to live, that people crave to come to this country. And we thank you, Lord, for Supreme Court justices who are willing to look at the law and not let their prejudices sway them, but to make a decision that is right. And, Lord, that's affected our nation morally, and we pray, Lord, that that would allow more children to be born and to live and have the pursuit of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness in this nation. Lord, we do pray that those who are violently opposed to the decision would not have their violence spread and there'd be a stop to violence, that they would voice their opinions but not do it violently. And we certainly pray for protection on the Supreme Court justices who have already been threatened for making a stand for morality. Watch over them, we pray. Lord, we are grateful for our children of all ages. And Lord, we continue to pray for their salvation and well-being. And Lord, we do pray for forgiveness of sin, whether it involves having done something that we wish we'd never done in the past or involved in something right now, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. We thank you that we can be forgiven and that we can be restored and blessed through Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look in your word now, we invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We invite him to instruct us and to empower us to follow your word, and I invite him to speak through me words that are true and honor Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Today we're continuing our series, Truth Matters, which is an expositional study in the book of Romans because truth does matter, and the Scripture is where we find the truth. And today's sermon, the title of it is, is you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. And if that doesn't yet remind you of a song, maybe it will as we continue with the sermon. So there I was in the jungles of Costa Rica on a guided jungle hike. And we were looking for, well, whatever there was. <laughs> and we saw those little, like one inch or so, colorful little tree frogs that are poisonous if you're an animal. Not so bad if you're a human unless you get your poison in a cut. And they're cute little frogs and you try to hold them without, you know, dying. And we looked around and then we heard something that sounded like lions in the trees. Well, those are howler monkeys. And they're like the scariest sounding things, these monkeys. But then, there it was. High on a tree trunk. The slowest moving animal in the world. 
the sloth. Let me show you a picture of a sloth in case you've forgotten what they look like. And they look like they're always smiling. You know, they're happy little creatures. And seeing it in person was exciting. Watching it was completely boring. <laughs> you watch it, and it, like, barely moves its arm to make the next. You could watch, I don't know, I felt like half hour before it just moved one arm to, to, to move. And sloths move so slowly. They are mammals about the size of a mid-sized dog, middle-sized dog. They're only found in Central America and South America. And they travel about 125 feet in a day if they're on a tree trunk. But if they're on the ground, they only travel one foot per minute. One foot per minute. That's half the speed of a snail. I mean, they are really, really slow. And their biology allows them to hang upside down for 90% of their lifetime. They can slow down their heart rate to one-third its normal beat. They can hold their breath for 40 minutes. Everything about them is slow, slow, slow. And they don't even have to move to see what's going on because they can turn their head at full 270 degrees. And that enables them with their eyes to basically see 360 degrees around them without having to get up and move. They are really, really slow. But you are not a sloth. And that's why we have this verse in Romans 12, 11, the verse we come to today. I'm going to read it in the King James Version. It says this. Not slothful, that's you, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, this is the King James, and so we have to tell you that business there doesn't mean your job. Uh, a better translation of the Greek word there is zeal or haste. So, we get other translations that are probably easier to understand like these. New American Standard says, not lagging behind in diligence. Not lagging behind. Don't be slothful. Not lagging behind in diligence. Another translation puts it this way. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Another translation says, do not hold back in what you do. Don't hold back in what you do. And another translation puts it quite well. Never be lazy. <laughs> Never be lazy. And we're talking about our service to the Lord. So I put it this way in your notes. If you're taking... Notes, there's some outlines by the doors if you didn't get one. If you're watching online, they're available on our website. But the first thing I want to look at this morning, number one, is this. Don't be slow to eagerly do the right thing. Don't be slow to eagerly do the right thing. And by right thing, I mean the, the Christian thing, the Holy Spirit-led thing, the thing that people do who take Romans 12, verse 1, seriously. People who are all in, who say, I'm a living and holy sacrifice for Christ. I'm not going to be slow to eagerly do the right thing. These are people who are being transformed in their mind by God and not conformed to the world, as it says in Romans 12, 2. But what this right thing is, is going to change from day to day, moment by moment. And if you don't want to be slow to eagerly do the right thing, you're going to need some help. As Christians, we are continually and constantly, daily, at all times, 
to be seeking to do the right thing without hesitation, without wavering, without hemming or hawing, without delay, without debating, without excusing. We are to do the right thing. We are to be all in. But you go, well, that sounds impossible. Well, it's impossible on your own. That's why God sends us a helper, the Holy Spirit, so we won't be slothful. Remember what Jesus said back in John 14? He's talking to us, his disciples. He's getting ready to leave this earth. And he says this in John 14. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. He says, if you love me, it's a conditional sentence. Maybe you love me, maybe you don't. But if you do, there's a way that I will know. He says, you will keep my commandments. It's easy to know if someone loves Jesus, he says. Look how they live. If they're not keeping his commandments, if they're not doing what he says, how can they say that they truly love him? But sometimes it's really hard to keep his commandments. It's hard to eagerly do the right thing. So he says, I'm going to help you. Verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Helper is the Holy Spirit. So we have the Trinity here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, I'll give you another helper. Greeks have two different words for another. One is another of a different kind. This is the word another of the same kind. So he's saying, I'm sending you a helper who's like me. It's not me, but he's like me. A helper of the same kind that he might be with you forever. Jesus and his physical body can only be one place at a time. The Holy Spirit, who doesn't have a physical body, can be in all of us. And so Jesus says he'll be with you forever. And who is this one? It is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Truth matters. He's the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because, and then he says two things. He abides with you. That's his omnipresence. He's here. But he says, Something new is going to happen. He's going to be in you. This is a new thing that happened at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came to be in us, to be our helper. He's not just among us or with us. He's going to be in us to help us. Now, coming back to Romans chapter 12, verse 11, we tie this together, where it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. Now, in English... If you put a lowercase s on spirit, you think of the human spirit. If you put an uppercase, capital letter S, you think of the Holy Spirit. But the Apostle Paul didn't write in English, of course. He wrote in Greek. And in Greek, there's no distinction. They don't capitalize Holy Spirit. Um, they, it's a lowercase. So the translator has to decide whether Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit here or the human spirit. And you can only know that by the context of the verse because Paul didn't capitalize it because he's writing in Greek. And some translations translate this with a capital S to let us know Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. Some translations use a lowercase to say it's about the human spirit. Many theologians over the year, all the way back to Origen or Chrysostom or Calvin, and more recently C.B. Cranfield, believe that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And anyone, Christian or non-Christian, can have a fervent human spirit, but only the Christian has a fervent Holy Spirit in them. What do we mean by fervent? Well, fervent comes from the Greek word zeo, which means to boil over or to be hot, 
to boil over or to be hot. In other words, you're really passionate. You have a passionate spirit. So, is he talking about the Holy Spirit or is he talking about the human spirit here? Well, if he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, which I think he probably is, then we have a corollary passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, where it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. He's hot. He's in you. He's fervent. Don't put the fire out. As another verse says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Another translation of the same verse. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. You see, to be on fire for Jesus doesn't mean you're a flaming nuisance to other people. It means you are passionate about living for Jesus Christ from the inside out. And the Apostle Paul tells us in the third part of this verse, if you have the fervency of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be using it, and he says, serving the Lord, serving the Lord. That's what you do with this passion. You passionately serve the Lord. You're, you're eager to do the right thing. The, the real proof of the presence, as they used to say, of having that fire in your bosom isn't some effervescent, ecstatic, religious experience that causes attention to you and causes people to want to get away from you and away from God. Being fervent in spirit means, and this is the second thing on your outline, number two, number two, it means you have the power of God to serve God and to draw others to God. You have the power of God in you, the Holy Spirit, so that you can serve God, you can quickly do the right things, and that will draw other people to God. You see, although Christianity is about you, it's not only about you. And although Christianity is best for you, it should also be the way you live, best for God and the best for others. When you have Christ in you, when you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have God's power. And that power enables you to faithfully serve God eagerly. And when you do it well, that should actually draw other people to God. They should want what you have. I'm reading a book by a church historian, a Christian, by the name of John Dixon. He's an Australian, and it's an excellent historical account of the church, but it's very readable. You say history account, maybe it, looks, it sounds boring, but really good book. And he, he titled it Bullies and Saints, <laughs> Bullies and Saints, because you can look at church history, and sometimes the church acts like saints, and sometimes they're actually real bullies. And he demonstrates in his book, as he goes through history, that the problem with Christianity really hasn't been with the message of Christianity. It's been with the Christians and the way they perform Christianity. And so he gives this analogy, and he talks about his son, and I think when he talks, his son was maybe nine years old, and his son was learning to play the violin, and he was trying to play Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, which is an amazing symphony. But his son was playing it very poorly. And he points out, that doesn't negate the symphony. The symphony is beautiful. The problem is with the performer. And he said, Christianity is like the symphony. It's absolutely beautiful. 
The problem is many of us don't perform it very well, and people reject the symphony of Christianity that's beautiful because we have played it poorly and sometimes tragically. Now, let's reread verse 11 and focus our attention on the third part as we read it. Verse 11 says, not lagging behind in diligence. In other words, don't be slothful, don't be a sloth. Be eager to do the right thing. Be fervent in spirit. In other words, be energized by the Holy Spirit in your life, serving the Lord. Now, when you and I read this word serving, as 21st century Western Christians, when we think of serve, we think of like serving someone dinner or being in a restaurant and you have a servant, a waiter, a waitress that serves you. Or if you like watching shows, maybe you watch Downton Abbey and, and you saw butlers, you know, and maids, and you think of that kind of service. Of course, Paul's in the first century and his readers in the first century, and this is not at all what they would have thought of. It meant something totally different to his readers and to Paul. The word serving comes from the noun that means slave. It's a Greek word, vulevo, and the Greek verb vulevo means to be a slave. That's what he's saying here. And I remind you that 30%, upwards of 30% of the Roman Empire were actually slaves, and the other 70% benefited from the slaves. So everybody gets the picture. 100% of the people understood slavery. It was all around them. And Paul is using that same word that they use for slavery here in how we serve or slave God. The Christian who is all in is like a slave to God. Serving God is not a nine-to-five job. Serving God is not a Sunday morning role play. Being a Christian isn't just that you aren't a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu or a Buddhist. It's taking God seriously, and you are all in, completely, a living holy sacrifice. You are a slave to God. In everything you, as we told the children, think, say, or do. And that's why in another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought is a slave to Jesus. It's being all in to Him. It's being a living and holy sacrifice. It's being diligent to serve with fervency of the Holy Spirit. After becoming a born-again Christian, rock singer Bob Dylan wrote and released the song, Gotta Serve Somebody. It was the opening track in his 1979 album entitled A Slow Train Coming, and it actually won a Grammy Award for the best rock vocal performance by a male in 1980. I'm guessing there wasn't much competition in 1980. <laughs> but perhaps you remember the words. He says, you may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord but you got to serve somebody. Dylan understood we're all enslaved to something or someone. All of us are using our personal energy 
to be a slave, but the question is, what are you a slave to? Sometimes you say, oh, I'm a slave to my job, or I've been slaving over a hot stove, or you might say she's a slave to fashion, or he's, he's a, a slave to his addictions. We're all enslaved to something. Former Beatle John Lennon famously criticized, criticized Bob Dylan's song, You've Got to Serve Somebody, and so he wrote his own song entitled Serve Yourself, which is a vulgar, blasphemous song that I don't want you to look up after you leave here. But John Lennon proves Dylan's point. You've got to serve somebody. And most people just serve themselves, and serving yourselves is a way of serving the devil. And this is our third and last point today, number three on your outline. You are enslaved to someone or something. You are enslaved to someone or something, so best make it the Lord. Best make it the Lord. Notice what Paul says later on in the book of Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Romans 16, 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men, notice, are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not a slave of Jesus Christ, you're a slave to something else, but of their own appetites. They're a slave of themselves. They're serving themselves just like John Lennon said in his song, rather than serving Jesus Christ. And back in Romans chapter 6, passage we looked at already earlier some time ago, in verses 17, 18, he says this, verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you were enslaved to sin, but you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. And notice, and having been freed from sin, yay, I'm free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We're all enslaved to something, either sin or righteousness, he says. Verse 22 of that same chapter. But now having been freed from sin, yay, and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Ironically, the only way you can be set free is to become a slave to God, and He sets you free. Now, Bob Dylan certainly isn't as authoritative as the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul may have even sung better, for all we know. But Dylan put it well in his song, in his poetry. Let me read a little bit more of the song. You may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I choose to serve the Lord. How about you? How about you? Should we pray together? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, even if you're still watching us online. So you can have a private moment. Who are you a slave to? If you haven't given your life over to Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you a moment to do that. If you understand and believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave to give you life, 
But if you've never invited him into your life as your Savior, I encourage you right now to cry out to him and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Christian, as we pray, are you enslaved to God? Are you serving him well by the power of the Holy Spirit? Lord, we ask that you'd help us to serve you well. We ask that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Lord, when we've been slaving to the wrong things and living for the wrong things. Forgive us. Lord, may we do better today than we did yesterday and better tomorrow than we do today by the fervent Holy Spirit within us. We pray these things through our blessed Savior, Jesus. Amen.